Welcome to uh, Brownline Church's midweek podcast with Kyle and Vince. Today we are responding to Sunday's topic that was mental health and the overlap of mental health and spirituality. Uh, Kyle, we ended up uh, going in all kinds of different directions in the conversation on Sunday, and one that stood out to me was um, uh, a, a topic that I think is useful for you and I to talk about because we have different backgrounds when it comes to how spiritual we grew up. And so, uh, so we ended up talking about how, in some cases, uh, things like spiritual disciplines, which historically would be, in their best version, helpful to people's mental health, um, can also lead to shame. And I just found that really interesting based on backgrounds. And, and so I was just curious, um, you're somebody who grew up uh, in a spiritual environment. And so what would you say is the helpfulness and the unhelpfulness to growing up spiritual uh, when it comes to like mental health and, and spirituality leading to mental health? You know, it is interesting because uh, there's been a bunch of studies. I think most recently I saw one from Barna where um, kind of religious um, fervor growing up being as a child, being directly associated with shame in adulthood. Like people that grew up more religious as children tend to experience and battle shame more as an adult. And I think that there is something that really, uh, about religion, I think the truth is it's not unique to, say, religion. I think it's just true of humanity, is that kind of the, the parts of us that uh, want power, the parts of us that want order, the parts of us um, that want to feel more important than other people that live all over the world and society also find home in religion. And I think that the way that those find life in religion is it isn't just um, maybe people communicating uh, the kind of expectations of what you should do. And maybe in spiritual disciplines, on, on the bad side of things is this thing of what's being communicated that, like, to be a good Christian, you are doing these things. Mm -hmm. uh, to be a good Christian is you are doing your quiet time, you're reading your Bible. Um, and just another checklist of life. Yeah, yeah the, the things of like, what does it mean to be? I don't know. My wife's in Minnesota. Like, what does it mean to be a good Minnesotan? Like, is uh, you know, I'm a I'm a Chicagoan. Like, what does it mean to be a good Chicagoan? You don't put ketchup on a hot dog. You know, there's different <laughs> forms of this. <laughs> the challenge with religion is most places aren't trying to then say that checklist is tied with existential approval. And that's what happens in <laughs> This is what makes like, you a good or bad human being, or this is what sends you to heaven. Exactly. When yeah. yeah. Like if the stakes of ketchup on my hot dog was internal damnation, or, you know, there's like the, this, the, the way these things happen. And so what ends up being triggered, that's why I think people who are religious tend to experience more shame. And so when you talk about practices, or you begin talking about like, these are things, as we talked about this week, that are for good mental health. You should do these things because they're gonna help your mental health. For somebody like me who grew up in a more religious context, there's just the way that shoulds were experienced because they weren't just cultural shoulds, they were like the existential approval of my eternal acceptance or damnation. They just carry with it actually a lot of things that nullify, I think, the potential benefit of, like. I actually think setting a time time every day to be quiet in prayer, I actually think reading the Bible are really helpful things. But because the way that those connect into like 
of this really should be something I'm doing. And really, like, if it's not working, there's somehow something about me. And that being connected to this kind of, like, existential acceptance or rejection, uh, I think, is, is a hurdle. But, like, when you and I talk, I don't hear that coming from you. Like, when these kind of things come up, they don't speak and live with the same kind of baggage as somebody like me. Does that feel true to you? I don't know. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. None of us, we're not painting on a blank canvas. And so if you if you have a, a, a painting already there, then you could use the greatest color in the world, the greatest spiritual discipline in the world. But if it's on top of uh, something that's already there and it's, and it's messing with the picture, it's not going to be helpful. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it definitely feels true to me that um, I, I guess I, I go back and forth on this question of, I, I suppose you can answer it both ways, but like, is it better is it more helpful to somebody's like spiritual fulfillment as an adult to grow up spiritual or not grow up spiritual? <laughs> and, and certainly like there are pros and cons both ways, obviously. Uh, but it's just interesting in that this, it, this is one of those conversations where you might make the argument that it is easier to grow up because you just don't have baggage around uh, spiritual disciplines or, or even I think actually more, more important than the, than the discipline side of things. So we, we, uh, one of the terms that I brought up is, is uh, um, terms from psychology, secondary strategies versus primary strategies. And spiritual disciplines would, would be secondary strategies. They're things that you do in the moment to provide immediate relief. And ideally, they, they, they build to something that then later becomes habits. But they are, they are things that you're doing because something is not yet a habit. Uh, you, 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 know, you build some discipline in so that they become something that then more inform you naturally. But, but the other thing that we talked about on Sunday were um, primary strategies for dealing or for helping with our mental health. It's like the core beliefs that are inside us. We believe that we are worthy of love. We believe that we are uh, an, uh, you know, a, a fundamentally good person. We don't need to prove ourselves. And so we're not run ragged by constantly having to prove ourselves. Um, and on those terms, like on, on, and how that relates to spirituality, the, you know, traditionally speaking in, in the removed from baggage, we'd be talking about relationship with God. Like it's not, you know, we're not just talking about a God who we have to, you know, meet some checklist to get approval for, like you're talking about, but we're talking about something that is actually relational, that actually has love, that actually has back and forth, that actually has mutual affection, that actually has like this this kind of like, oh, we, we know each other. We've spent time together when I talk about me and God, just like I would talk about you and I, Kyle, we have a relationship. We've spent time together. We know each other. We get each other's tendencies. We see, we can read between the lines with what each other are saying. And that, you know, that being applied to God, it kind of it speaks to uh, something that can, that, can, uh, that can help our mental health over time. Like if we have that kind of level of relationship with God, then that will that will that will allow us to more quickly find or more readily find God with us. But what was interesting is you you had brought up a, a fascinating thing on Sunday where you said like even relationship with God. I want to ask like, well, what do you mean by that? And uh, and that just that again spoke to me about like, boy, there must be all sorts of ways that these that these these things carry with them baggage or triggers. Uh, I'm I'm curious how that hits you. No, I think I, I agree. And I think the, where that leaves me thinking is, you know, I think about the secondary strategies and, and, and primary strategies, and perhaps this is the benefit of growing up a spiritual person, because uh, on the other end of things where people that tend to grow up more religious tend to experience more shame in adulthood, there's also studies that show that people that attend uh, church or spiritual communities on a regular basis 
tend to be healthier people, like physically, emotionally, and mentally tend to experience uh, healthiness and live longer. And I think that that's connected to there is something about growing up where there's this thing of like, yes, I'm going to be participating in a community. Yes, mm. I'm going to be in a place where there's some form of accountability to the people around me. Um, there's, you know, there's studies that show that people that uh, uh, give money to uh, churches and synagogues and mosques tend to be more generous in their philanthropy in general. This, mm. And we do know that giving away money is tied to uh, a release of a stress around finances. And so I think there's these, these, there are certain practices that almost become second nature to me because I grew up this way. There's a sense of like commitment to a community and participating in a community and being around people, having people that I know I can reach out to for help and support, all related to good mental health, are parts that are just kind of there for me. Like I don't have to, I didn't have to like make a decision towards them quite in the same way because I grew up with that around me. I didn't have to, whereas, so like there are some advantages in that experience. There's also advantages for me personally because my experience growing up was not a, a, a wholly negative experience of faith. There was lots of very, very positive things there. And I think the places that were positive are the places that speak to the things you were talking about. Is I did have a sense of God very much caring for me on a specific and individual level. I did have a sense of God pursuing and actually experiencing a sense of interactive like this this god isn't just aloof but is actually uniquely aware of me and i'm uniquely valuable because of this god's kind of affection for me and that that is a sense of value that is just true of me and all of those are kind of primary coping strategies those are all primary helpful to believe those things all improve my mental health um, but then the challenge is when I be, actually, the challenge for me is more those secondary strategies. The primary strategies, I think, are working pretty well for me. And those things That's are true and kind of instilled when I was younger. That's very but interesting. It's the secondary ones that hit me yeah. poorly often. Yeah, so it's it's interesting that, uh, I mean, I, I suppose in, in some ways that speaks to exactly um, – exactly like from the psychological perspective, exactly what a good counselor would hope for us, which is, you know, like any secondary strategy that you're using is secondary. It actually doesn't need to be something that, that stays with you forever because it's just, it's like a stopgap. It's, it's something to, to get you from point A to point B. But once you're at point B, if you're leaving behind the boat that took you there, that's fine because what, what, what's more important is that you've taken strides further for those those sort of core beliefs that will that will serve you the rest of your life. So it's it's just interesting that there there is. Um, I wonder if if some of this is just about like the as time passes, as we are um, as, as we are trying to grow and mature in a spiritual life, uh, or to to use Jesus's terminology like discipleship, as we are trying to grow, uh, we we need to be always mindful of like what boats do we need to leave behind because they took me across that first river but now I'm gonna traverse across something else and it may be different waters and it may require a different vehicle and uh, I I think maybe that is that is the thing that we that we learn the most is as you go on as you spend more time in this and seasons can you know can can be years long or seasons can even be like you know, suddenly change because a global pandemic hits and we have to, you know, rearrange uh, how we do life. Uh, but we have to always be asking that reflective question, that self-critical question of like, what's working for me and what's not working for me. And often that means we're going to leave some strategies behind and embrace other ones, even when 
you know, like for, for, for someone who has a lot of background in, uh, in, in being taught things about spirituality or religion, that might make some other people in your life unhappy or disapproving. What's interesting is, you know, I think about that, the whole idea of leaving things behind. You know, I think about one of the shifts for me of like a, a way I used to think about things that I kind of had to leave behind and to find something more helpful. And I actually think that one of the lenses that is probably most useful for me when I think about, um, you know, what, what often is referred to, what is often talked about in churches and, and sin is actually thinking about sin through the lens of mental health is actually really helpful to me. Okay. Um, I think what, the framework I originally started with is sin is just an objective thing. It, it, is this, it is a list of things that are wrong and a list of things on the other end, there's these virtues that are a list of things that are right, and, you, and it's kind of like a, it's a, it's kind of the task of life to minimize and make amends and ask for forgiveness uh, the, in the, the space of wrongs and do what you can on the space of right. But to me, that always felt like a moving target, and it always felt, um, you know, that that approach spoke to kind of the things that triggered shame within me. And so mm. when I made a shift and began to think about a sin in, you know, often, um, actually, when you talk about sin in, in terms of the Greek, it actually kind of translates maybe closer to missing the mark. Uh, mm. And I think that that, to me, felt more helpful because it begins to realize sin less of an objective, objective list of wrongs that I need to avoid, but rather sin is anything and everything that is leading me away from health, leading me away from life, leading me away from connection and love and care, all the things that I think God created me to be. And so for me, evaluating something on the terms of like, how is this affecting my mental health? To me, actually became a really helpful lens to think about mm. sin, because sin would therefore be anything that is actually jeopardizing my mental health, jeopardizing uh, that within me. So, you know, habits that aren't serving me, um, you know, poor coping mechanisms, poor self-talk, like all of that, I think that'd be sin. And so then when I begin to look at it on this level and see like where Jesus enters in, this idea of Jesus comes to kind of free us from the burden of sin, it became less like he's an angry God that's angry at me because I broke those rules and the freedom he offers me is like some sense of like he took the beating and murder that was true, rightfully belonged to me. And it transferred it from that to sin being this incredibly empathetic thing where he mm. comes in and sees all of these ways that things I am doing and things I'm participating in are not serving me. And then is bringing freedom for me to actually find a, a more healing and healthy way forward to help me break those habits, to help me replace those bad self-talk. Not because I broke the rules by doing those, but because he loves and cares about me enough that he actually wants more from me. And so to me, this has been a kind of an unlearning of something and then a relearning of it. And, and in that process, that evolution has even just been something for me that has been a massive boom in terms of my own mental health. Absolutely. I mean, the, and the proof is in the pudding there, right? Like, you know, the, the, the image of God that you are developing since leaving this old understanding of sin behind and embracing this new understanding, that image of God sounds much more like Jesus and obviously is, is more attractive and magnetic and is going to draw you in and not push you away. And to the end of what we've been talking about here, which is mental health is not a one size fits all. It is a evolution and the things that work for us in times don't work for us in other times. And the things that work for some people don't work for other people. And so to me, seeing kind of my struggle in this world 
against quote unquote sin as kind of that evolving struggle in trying to be healthy and whole is actually way more helpful than it being some kind of static thing. Whereas what is the static solution uh, that I originally had? It is, you know, am I having a quiet time every morning? Am I reading the Bible enough? Am I doing all these checklists? Those things by their nature are static, like you are doing them or not doing them. And the journey of mental health, which we've often been talking about in the last few days, is something that by its nature is dynamic because that is not a static solution for us. You know, I think about um, uh, a a struggle of my own and um, how it relates to my personal mental health, but also uh, the way my mental health impacts other people. Um, The, um, I, I realized somewhere along the lines in my life that I have a real need to feel right a lot of the time. Like I am a person who seeks understanding and wants to see consistency in all the things that I'm thinking about and taking all of my inputs need to like fit neatly together so that when I present it to somebody, it makes sense. And, um, and what I found is that, you know, uh, it, what you're saying here about th- this reality that uh, mental health or that um, what, is, what is healthy in, in sort of a holistic broad sense is different for every person. That is, has uh, it, at past times in my life felt like a, a threat to me because like, no, 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 no. Like I actually, I, I thought through all the inputs, I, I put them all together and it looks this way. And so this is right. Like if you don't see, you're just wrong. <laughs> and um and what's interesting is like that, that kind of like, I don't know, it elevated my ego a little bit to make me feel like I was correct. But, the, you know, like the, 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 the way that other people were experiencing that is like, well, I'm sorry, like you can say that this is right until you're blue in the face, but if it doesn't work for me, it doesn't work for me. Um, and, and what I found is that there is, uh, there is, there is a freedom in the um, embracing that like this looks different for every person. What is health and what is, what is, um, what is Jesus guiding somebody to holistic health? That's going to look different for every person. Uh, there's a freedom in that that has, has taken away that need and that, uh, that, that like intense burden on me to feel like I need to make everything fit right. And it's almost like it, 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 it even, you know, first off, I think it makes, it, it makes me somebody who is uh, a, a more helpful conversation partner for somebody else. But it also is freeing for me personally because I feel less of attention. If there's, if there's some reason that like, oh, this thing has always worked for me for my own mental health and now it's not working, I don't need to fret over that. I can be that person who can say, oh, that's a boat that took me this far and now I'm going to leave it behind and now I'm going to turn to something else. Yeah, you know, I, I, my brain goes to two different things on this. One of them is, you know, the... Uh, believe is it Brian McLaren's uh, conversation about good faith and bad faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've talked about this before in different settings about how for some people, the same practices, uh, adopting them. So like becoming a person of faith and then adopting the practices, the practices of faith is an immensely like positive step forward in their life. And then for many other people, people whom I know, a really healthy step forward in their life was actually leaving faith. Mm-hmm. And I think that mm-hmm. it, there's the sense of like, Faith and the thing that faith offer us, and I don't think it, to me it's not actually about Jesus. It's not about the possibility of faith. To me, it's largely around the emphasis to go back to your first conversation of those secondary um, things that we're looking to. It's the, it's all of the extra structures around what's going on that for a lot of folks that those became oppressive to them, and so mm-hmm. stepping away from them was actually a huge progress in mental health. Whereas others 
the experience of stepping into some of those, those structures and stepping into some of those experiences were massively helpful for that. I think to me, this as a pastor, that feels profound to me because it helps me understand that if I am presenting one size fits all, if I am presenting one solution that works for me as a white middle class married man with children should therefore work mm. for everybody else, mm-hmm. uh, which is a large part of it. it we're, we're reading the world through our own lenses. Um, that I'm, I'm just as likely to be leading people away from progress in their life as I am towards progress. And I think this is one of those things for us that to believe that God is alive and through the Holy Spirit is, is active yes. and interactive with us today, to yeah. believe that we're not just left in a guessing game. Because that's the whole thing is, when that's put in question, it really does feel like I just need to lay down some clarity. What is wrong? What is right? What's happening? Because if I don't have that, what do I have? And I think often our answer is, well, what we have is an actual experience of an interactive God that can actually help us figure those things out in a much more freeing and powerful way. And then interactive God sometimes works through, like, I've experienced, like, kind of radically, like, speaking into my heart kind of thing often works through the counsel of people around me, working through counseling. There's all these other ways we're kind of being attuned to a living God to me feels like a piece of this puzzle that kind of becomes harder to solve without it. And I think that that's often what people who are more religiously um, kind of rigid struggle with is that there's a sense of, well, if I'm relying on something that's less clear and I can't just say this is true for everybody, then there's a sense of aimlessness around that. Yeah, I, I actually, I think uh, my brain was going to exactly the same place as you. I think the, the most helpful um, theological um, element in this conversation around mental health is the Holy Spirit. Uh, it, it's, it's the most, uh, the Holy Spirit is the most individualistic part of God. And, you know, like we're in America, we're very familiar with how individualism runs rampant and can be terrible. Um, and we all need to be more collectivist and, and, and think about the other a lot more than ourselves. But the, the, the good part about individualism is this idea that like one size does not fit all. And to speak for oneself does not mean that you can automatically speak for all people. And certainly when you inject uh, elements of power or elements of privilege into that conversation, it's really important that we have the Holy Spirit to individualize things, to make things much more personal and, 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 uh, and allow for the breadth and diversity of experience. And I think that that is just all the more important for our community, which is speaking to people that do have vastly different experiences, whether for religious background uh, differences or cultural differences or ethnic differences or, uh, or you know, a place of life or sexual orientation or whatever it is, there are going to be all sorts of ways that you can run into trouble if you start to say, hey, so, you know, this has worked for um, all, you know, for me always, or for all of these people who are like me always, so it must work for everyone else. I think the, the like, we've got to obviously offer the things that are helpful to us, but we've also got to relativize those things. We've got to say, hey, this is what's worked for me, and this is my best guess why. Um, I'm going to throw it out there, but if that's not working for you, the, the issue is not that you're a bad person. The issue might just be that this strategy is, you know, is, is well attuned to me and my situation and my scenario, but maybe not for you. Uh, but, but helping people to be able to, uh, point the finger at, uh, at those, those strategies and not at themselves is such an important thing, 
uh, for people to develop uh, a trust in God and trust that when we're talking about relationship with God, we're not ending up uh, going into, you know, like we're not meaning something in code by that. We're not like when we say relationship with God, we're actually meaning all of these like checklists that you have to fall into. We're actually meaning like, no, individual, personal relationship, like the, like the Holy Spirit is interacting with you. And you, you know, this, this isn't, this doesn't have to look like anybody else's relationship because it's yours. You know, it makes me think about, you know, a journey I went through <clears throat> in relationship with the Bible. You know, there's a point in my life where I, this kind of uh, rigidity and clarity of all things, uh, like I had felt like that was, you know, true. And then I often say what first made me question that was actually reading the Bible. And it was recognizing there's all these things that felt like massive contradictions. You know, in one place it's talking about, you know, also like how one should use this money in one place and then says something different in another place, you know, and in one place, you know, it says you shouldn't lie, but then in another place it's praising Rahab for lying. You know, it's like mm. all these kind of very contradictory things about all sorts of stuff. And I felt very difficult. Like I got the love of mercy, but then there's also, you know, it seemed like by, you know, he's working through Israel to slaughter and kill people. Like, well, these, all these things felt very like hard for me to wrestle with. And it was an evolution for me to say, either I'm saying that this Bible is just total contradiction, therefore untrustworthy, or perhaps the rigidity that I'm applying to it, it has more to do with my own framework and less to do with what it's trying to communicate. And the truth is, what the Bible is trying to communicate, I had a professor that used to say, you know, okay, what the Bible is trying to communicate in Moses' day, and Moses's, it was trying to communicate in Moses' day, in Moses' way to Moses' people, and then in David's day, in David's way to David's people, in Jesus' day, in Jesus' way to Jesus' people, mm -hmm. and Paul's day, and Paul's way to Paul's people. Essentially saying that there is a dynamic uh, addressing of the moment, a dynamic addressing of the situation that happens throughout the Bible, which at one place can seem like a contradiction, just like you can say maybe a, a tool for mental health would be like, go tonight and pour yourself a stiff drink, relax. But for some other, somebody <laughs> else, that same recommendation would be a really bad idea. Yeah, and I yeah. think in the same way, we see that kind of thing all over the Bible. And it's this picture of a God who is dynamic and addressing dynamic situations in different ways. And I think that for us, part of the challenge of being a pastor in America is this um, cultural expectation that we should be laying out answers for people. Mm -hmm. Whereas the fact of the matter, the, our source material, the Bible, actually makes it really hard to have clear and cohesive answers that address all situations because the Bible is an amalgamation of solutions, addressing an amalgamation of situations, which in one way is threatening, but in another way, particularly if you think about the Holy Spirit as alive today and helping us, is a massively more helpful resource. Yeah, I think of um, uh, wisdom, the, the classic two questions associated with wisdom uh, would be, uh, the first question is like, what, what, is, uh, what, what are wise things to do? But then the second question is, and when do I apply which wise thing? Um, and so, you know, certainly... Um, that would account for the fact that there are, you know, if, if, we, if we do have truly this uh, diverse set of uh, writings in the scriptures that are speaking to different people for different reasons at different times, uh, in different circumstances and all, you know, different, 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 um, then it would make sense that we would see a, uh, a breadth and a diversity in, uh, in wisdom because it depends on the situation. And certainly that would apply for any 
uh, strategy uh, that any of us need for any given time um, to uh, pursue health. Uh, that you know, it, we want to do a wise thing, but wisdom is dependent upon your given scenario, your given circumstances, and that is that again. I I I think the the helpfulness of believing in a God that. Uh, that is uh, that is that is shown to us through a Holy Spirit. That one who can who can you know reside in each one's soul individually. I mean, that's like all of our different all of our situations are going to be so immensely different and so immensely personal that the idea of a God that is that is not far off, but that can reside in your own soul and speak to you uh, personally is I think an incredible comfort. Now it is not a checklist, you know, it is it, the comfort there is not something that this gets back to our discussion about like certainty versus uncertainty and what is spirituality actually doing. Uh, I mean, this, this embraces uncertainty. Like there, it, there's not going to be a book. There's not going to be a glossary. We can look up and say, Hey, I'm feeling depressed today, or I'm feeling anxious today. What's that thing that I should do? I just look it up in the glossary and then it shows me. Um, it's not really that because it's more about like in the moment, it's about uh, it, it it comes back to relationship. It comes back to like let me spend time getting to know this this Holy Spirit's voice that 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 is within me, so that in the moment when I need it, I can recognize it. You know, we we all long for things to feel uh, structured. Something. What can we rely upon? What is what is the thing that I can hold on to? Like I think a lot of us do feel life is mm. out of control, and I think that we're not left with nothing here. Just to say that there isn't a clear answer for everything. To say that uh, the dynamic um, kind of response into what's best and healthy for us isn't to leave us with no stability. It just changes what that stability is. The stability yes. then gets laid upon God is as person, God as relationship, God who is trustworthy and enduringly good, trustworthy and enduringly loving and merciful and caring. And that is that that person is trustworthy. It is not the actions around that. It's not the the frameworks and the belief systems, those things can help us for sure. Creating good, you know, thinking structures are helpful. But you think about like the most loving and caring and reassuring person you know in your life, hmm. you know, like a family member of who that is. What is the thing that you're really getting out of that relationship? Is it that you can clearly understand what answers they're going to give to you every time you go to them for reassurance? No. It's that you know that they're going to be there when you go to them for real. That's why you call them in the first place. Trust. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And you yeah. can trust that they will give you the kind of wisdom. And if you, I don't know about just the person that I, the people that I think about that I'm like, man, I'm really struggling with this. Obviously it's me. You, uh, you can, you can say, you can say oh, it's course. me. I get it. Yeah. I get it. Um, but when I reach out to you, then no, um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think about a, a few people I know, you know, some of them are, are old, a lot of them are older than me. I have some peers where this is the case too. Often when I go to them, they don't resolve my question. Sure. Often I actually walk away, maybe I'm asking more questions, but I'm asking different questions. But I walk away from that experience and what it helped is sometimes I get clear direction on what I should do. But what I'm really getting out of that is somebody that is actually trustworthy caring and for me and with god we kind of have the most dynamic picture of that it's the it's the separation between what we think we need and what we actually need we think we need answers what we actually need is trustworthy relationship yeah very good very good well to to kind of summarize us uh, i i think we can punt back to a couple of the recommendations from people in our community uh the to uh, you know re-examine our shoulds are there any boats that we need to leave behind and, and, uh, and, and try different ones now for the next stretch of our journeys? 
Uh, and then also embrace this idea, acknowledge this idea that uh, mental health uh, and spiritual health, certainly in how we're uh, talking about it today, is not a one-size-fits-all thing. Um, thank God for the Holy Spirit that, uh, that th- this can be a personally worked out thing. So hopefully that feels helpful. Um, great, to, great to have you guys today. Kyle, any parting words? Yeah, uh, just remember there is always one answer to every question. <laughs> thank you. That really, That's, I just uh, really feel like that, that, that took with it. You. Yeah, great. And if you're, great. Having, if you're trying to figure out, you just need to try harder, and then, okay. and then it'll all be okay. That's, That's my great. leaving. No. There's I, really... My other thing is, is really just to, to, to iterate. You know, for me, there are lots of tools and things I have done that have been about trying to familiarize myself with that trustworthy character of God. There's been things mm-hmm. like a manual prayer. There's been things that have worked for me in counseling. There's been times of just spending contemplative quiet prayer for me that has been about trying to familiarize myself with God as one who loves me and cares for me and listening to those voices. And that has actually, it, it's been a really helpful piece in this because, uh, you know, it, we, it is not something that solves mental health. But for me, it is a great tool in, in experiencing company in that struggle. Yeah, I like that. So uh, it, it seems tied to the analogy that you dropped uh, for us on Sunday of uh, looking to God as a doctor rather than looking to, looking to God as a boss. Uh, a sort of a, a, a more helpful question uh, when you're trying to consider what are the secondary strategies I should lean into? What are the things that I want to form habits and core beliefs for me is not so much like what feels like the right thing to do or what should I do or what, you know, is that, that person who I talk to telling me that I ought to do? Uh, a good question that Kyle is posing for us here is like, what do I think will help me more, more readily recognize the voice of God, more readily recognize the voice of Jesus' spirit in me? Uh, that's a useful one. So uh, maybe take that question with us to go. All right. Until next time, we're happy to have you in Brownline Church's Midweek Podcast. Stay classy.